Anyways, let's get this show started. What are we doing? Uh, starting as a freelancer. What, how okay. did you put it? I, I get I get the feeling that may, yeah, that might be the wrong topic for today because I have a feeling maybe at least two of us today will just say don't. <laughs> <laughs> This podcast is sponsored by Harvest. I use the projecting work and invoicing clients. You can get a 30-day trial at getharvest.com. Use the offer code RR after your 30-day trial to get 50% off your first month. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Ruby Freelancer Show. Uh, this week on our panel, we have Eric Davis. Hello. We also have Evan Light. Hi. And Jeff Schoolcraft. What's up? And I'm Charles Maxwood from TeachMeToCode.com. This week we're going to be talking about getting started as a freelancer. Now, we actually have two topics in the suggestions that are kind of related to this. One is starting as a freelancer, and it just basically says, I'm interested in becoming a freelancer, but I'm not quite sure how to get started freelancing, so I'm kind of curious. And the other one is moving to Ruby freelancing from a non-Ruby full-time job. I'm guessing side projects are open source, part of the solution, but is it enough? I feel nervous jumping into freelance Ruby without any commercial Ruby experience. So, you know, both of those are, are somewhat related. And and I think, yeah, I mean, the one is, you know, how do you get started? And the other one is, you know, what do I have to do in order to be effective at it? So um, just just to get started, I'm, I'm going to kind of get the ball rolling here. Because when I read the starting as a freelancer, the first thing that came to mind was something that Eric sa- said in the pre-show. And that was, you start a business and you get a client to hire you and then you're a freelancer. Um, I, I know that there are more things that you probably ought to do to get started but i mean isn't that effectively what you have to do to get it done yes um, and no you don't have to start a business i mean and rob walling talks about this a lot but i mean he operated for i don't know eight or nine years again we're not lawyers blah 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 but he operated for eight or nine years uh just as himself maybe not even at doing business as and so all the other they call it busy work i mean getting business cards building a website registering your corporation, filing for S-Corp status. I mean, I did all that crap, but I mean, that's checking boxes and not making money. I mean, you need a client and you need to charge them and they need to pay you and you're a freelancer, basically. Yeah, and when I actually got started freelancing, like some people don't know this, you can start a business, a sole proprietorship, by basically just saying, I'm running a business, it is called X. Like that's mostly all you have to do in the U.S., and if you make a business, I don't know the exact thing, but like if it's based on your name, so like I started and I said, I'm starting a business called Eric Davis Development. Started it in like five minutes and started working for a client, my past employer, and basically, you know, in a week I was actually billing and making money. Um, I did this as a way to like kind of, you know, see if I could freelance. So you don't need like business cards or any of that stuff. And the building a business and the whole business section of your bookstore, a lot of that is, you know, you can do later. You don't need to do before you start. Right. And so, yeah, I, I think it's interesting. I mean, I did some moonlighting, which is like, I mean, it's freelance. It's just not full time, um, you know, for a guy out here. And, you know, I, I had a full time job at the same time. And, you know, I, I, I think that I think of that as freelancing. So, yeah, I mean, that, I, I, all you need is a paying client. Um, so and we've talked about, you know, keeping the pipeline full and finding clients 
and, and stuff like that. Um, when you're getting started, what kinds of things should you be doing? I mean, we mentioned, um, you know, business entities and stuff. Is that something that you guys feel like you really ought to do? Or should you wait until you, you know, you've been doing it for a little while and you know that it's going to be your full-time gig for a while? I would, I, I mean, doing it on, yeah, doing it in hindsight, I would, I would have rather waited. I mean, if someone could have given me this advice, I mean, give it, I mean, you've got a year before you have to file taxes. I mean, depending on when you start, I mean, but you've got basically a year. So, I mean, figure out if six or eight months later, you're still doing it and it still seems like a viable option, then go ahead and do whatever you have to do there and talk to an accountant, attorney and figure out if you want LLC or whatever, or if you even need any of that garbage. I mean, a lot of it depends on, again, I'll go back to Rob Walling because they just talked about this and starts for the rest of us a few episodes ago. But I mean, it's also how sensitive you are to risk. If you're if you're dealing with a mom and pop shop and they just want a simple, who knows what they want, a simple thing versus dealing with a giant financial companies that's trading on the international market, I mean, you'll want a lot more separation between you or the work product and your customer if you're dealing with that giant megacorp financial company or medical company, pharmaceutical company that can kill millions of people or whatever. But as opposed to working for somebody else, it's just found you on Craigslist to build the next Twitter. I mean, so I, I don't know. I would say definitely wait. You can work all that stuff out later. I mean, you've got a bunch of you have a bunch of time before you actually have to deal with it. Right. Somebody else was uh, trying to talk at the same time as Jeff. Somebody else have an opinion? I just said this basically the same thing. I completely agree. Yeah. I, mean, I went through, I went through making a, I mean, it had an LLC originally like three years ago. Then I made a uh, S-Corp, and it was just a lot of paperwork that I didn't really need for quite a long time. I only now have my first client where I have to get, oh my God, uh, business insurance as part of the deal of uh, doing business with them. And I would obviously would have had to have been incorporated, you know, as such. But before that, no one really gave a damn. Right. Yeah, so, so it was totally about uh, liability and taxes. And that's another interesting thing, business insurance. I'm in the same what is Evan? I've not, I've not had to get business insurance forever until I picked up this one client, and it was a long enough term project. I could have went through basically an umbrella company and that had the insurance and wrapped me under it, and they would have taken, I don't know, five or ten bucks an hour off my rate. But it was enough. The length of time of the contract, it worked out, so it was cheaper for me to actually buy the insurance, which was twelve hundred bucks a year or something like that. Oof. I don't know. Maybe it was six hundred. I don't yeah, remember. Mine was five. Yeah, so maybe it was around six hundred, and that's for like million, two million, one million, something like that for errors and emission and general liability and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, basically the same thing. So I uh, I worked for a, a guy, and he con- he actually contracted me through a, a third party company, and uh, that company when I, since I was subcontracting to them uh, legally anyway, um, their contract said I needed business insurance, and I actually made them take it out of their contract. Um, but but it was mainly because you know it was kind of a handshake deal all around, and you know, and so they really weren't footing a whole bunch whole lot of liability for me because I was dealing directly with the client and uh, you know that was just a way for him to you know have money in a bucket that they could you know pay out to me when they needed to but there's it sorry go ahead but I want to go back to the business entity thing because one thing that I've found was that uh, when I first got started I actually formed an LLC on my own it costed cost me like 
I don't know, like 70 or 80 bucks. Mm -hmm. And uh, the nice thing there was that, you know, immediately then I had this business entity that I could, you know, put business expenses under and I could, uh, you know, it limited my liability some because it was an LLC and things like that. Um, so there's, there's definitely some, some niceties there and you can go ahead and go that way. And then when I actually, you know, was serious and going, okay, I, I need to set this up so that I, you know, I can have the taxes work the way that they need to work and stuff. I went and talked to Scott and, uh, the attorney that he referred me to actually, um, just filed a, more papers with the state and just, you know, updated the articles of whatever that, that the state needed so that it was, um, so that it functioned or, you know, so that you know, the state thought or whatever, however it was supposed to function with the state so that it, it worked out the way that it needed to. And so it, it's really not a big deal to go and, and get that done because it should cost you under $100 if you want to create the entity. And then if it's not the one that you need, then you can always just, uh, you know, talk to your professional, your accountant or your attorney or whatever, and, and have them help you either change the business structure or, um, you know, just reincorporate under a different business entity. The other the other thing about that, I when I started, I think 2005, 2004, 2005, something like that, before I was my own own thing an entity I'm I went under another umbrella company called I am independent I don't even know if they exist anymore but it was I am independent.biz and basically they're they're a rapper they gave you everything uh, they would allow you to participate in group purchased uh, health insurance they would do your taxes so basically all the invoicing went through them, uh, but you got the money. You just told them, or no, all the invoicing went through them. They took the money, and then you basically told them to write you a check. So I would say, write me a check and count so much of it as business expense and so much as salary, and they would work out all the details, and I ended up being an employee of theirs. So it was like I was a separate division, a one-person division of this company, gave me some business benefits, and I managed all my clients myself, and then I just had the billing piece go through them. So I mean, that's another option. I forget. They take like a 2% cut or 1% cut. I forget what it was, but they take some cut off the top to manage all that stuff. But I mean, that's another option. Yeah, there are companies like that out here that uh, one company I worked for actually had all of their employees up under, a, you know, a, a company like that. And so then they managed all the benefits and stuff through them. <clears throat> and I've done the, I mean, so you filed, did you actually file the paperwork yourself or did you go through like a legal Zoom or something? Um. Well, the Department of Corporations here in Utah, the form is actually really simple and so i mean i just went online filled it out and i was done <laughs> yeah see i i did the i did the legal zoom way first i mean I, and this goes the same way i mean we all talk about you have to have a contract which is something most of us are pretty adamant about but i mean i think i stole my first contract or borrowed it from somebody or just probably blatantly copied it off the web and then gave it a sanity check and used it. And the same with the corp. I mean, I started with LegalZoom. I mean, it's all about, I guess, what you can afford and what your risk tolerance is at the time. Right. But yeah. 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 And I think, I think for the most part, most clients are honest and they're just going to pay you. Um, but there are a few out there that, you know, if, if they can screw you, they will. So yeah, you definitely do need a contract. But, you know, yeah, I mean, when if you can't afford, uh, you know, the ironclad, my attorney wrote this up for my business specifically so that that, I, you know, would cover all these different cases, um, you know, yeah, just go borrow one, one that you're not going to get in trouble for borrowing because, you know, the, they're documents and so they're copyrighted just like anything else. Um, but yeah, 
So, um, so far we've talked about, you know, getting a business entity, uh, getting a contract, um, you know, maybe business insurance if you need it. Um, what about some of the other things like health insurance? Oh yeah. <laughs> I, there, really, there really shouldn't be any doubt. Just get it. Right. But, um, I mean, I sort of lucked out in that. So everybody else will have to say my, my wife is a teacher for the kind of government. And so, I mean, they, they have horrible salaries, but awesome benefits for the most part. So, uh, I mean, uh, I've been on her insurance since I've been on my own. So for seven or eight years or whatever, and that, yeah, so that uh, we wouldn't have survived start. without it. So if right. you can ride your spouse's insurance, yeah, definitely. If you can't, um, then it gets degrees of interesting and it comes back again to risk, <laughs> you know, it comes back to risk tolerance, you know, oh. how much, if you can tolerate a lot of risk, then you get really cheap insurance. You go through, you know, an HMO and you pay almost nothing. And then if you go in the hospital, then you're well. Actually, the hospitals were the only thing I think it covers reasonably well. Then, and then you know you end up having a, a fairly high deductible. Um, so when you go to the doctor, you're going to end up paying most or paying for most or all the visit probably. Right. And then if you, depending on your health. Um, and bear in mind that you're applying for insurance on your own, you might not be able to get normal insurance, and so a fact you might need to factor in where you live. Like in Maryland, they have the so-called Maryland Health Insurance Plan, which in a lot of states is known as something like insurer of last resort. And actually, I think it varies much from state to state, but Maryland's isn't half bad because that's what I'm on. Because well, I need to exercise more. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely in in a similar boat. I have type two diabetes, and so, um, I mean, pre-existing condition, of course. Yeah, and it like uh, most of the insurers won't cover me. They just won't. Period. If I try and get an individual plan, they just kind of go, yeah, well, sorry. I mean, they they won't even offer me like a ludicrously high um, deductible or uh, premium. So I yeah. imagine, I imagine they would. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how much work you've done with this, but if you actually talk to a broker uh-huh. and not go to individual companies, then that's what I've done. They would most of the time they can find you one. I mean, and maybe it depends on who you talk to and how much underwriting they're willing to do. But so there, are, there are a couple other resources I know of. Most of them are from Dave Ramsey. Yeah. So Xander or something like that is that I forget the name of it. Yeah, Xander they they do uh, life, life insurance. insurance. Yeah, and I think he has some resources for health insurance. But there's also as stupid as it sounds, but Aflac. I was at a BNI meeting and I was talking to an Aflac guy, and they're they're opening up to businesses of. Two employees, I think, can get Aflac. And so it's not exactly the same as health insurance. I mean, they'll pay you back for certain medical conditions. I'm not uh, whatever an Aflac person is. So I'm not that either. But I mean, that's something else to look at. I mean, and that's with you, uh, the way your business is structured. So you have more than one employee. It wouldn't work for me because I'm a single employee. But I mean, it might be worth, and group also is a big deal. So it might be worth putting people on the payroll to do right. bare minimum you, stuff can, just this, so you can do it. Yeah, if you can, group group can help. Group can definitely help. That's how most of us got insurance when we were full-time employees was through group. Right, because that's an automatic issue. So it doesn't matter what your pre-existing conditions are. 
It depends on the it depends on the size of the group, right? Yeah, but you can't um, like have a group of two and then get in just because you just you know just because you have a group. Yeah, I know that David Brady they actually um, they incorporated in such a way that uh, he and his wife were both employees of the or they were officers of the company or employees or something. And so they they each had their own policy, and so they got a group plan that way. Huh. And because um, because uh, David's wife has a, a pre existing condition as well. Um, and then <clears throat> what we did is my wife actually has an individual plan with her and the kids on it, and then I'm on the I'm in the Utah health insurance pool because that's the only way that I can get insurance that doesn't cost a ton. So so it's interesting, and yeah, I recommend that you um, you go talk to somebody that that you know does that kind of brokering and the Dave. Ramsey ELPs is actually how I found the insurance person that I went through. So and that's the same with, um, I mean, that's the same with retirement at some point. I mean, you've got the SERP and if you want to do 401k or something like that, I mean, it, you have to put people on the payroll to actually do that. Yeah. Retirement and that's not is, it. Is, isn't that when, when we die? Basically. Okay. Just check. <laughs> that's my retirement. <laughs> Self-employed retirement plan, SERP. Yeah. Yeah. And right. so that's a decent, that's a decent option for uh, a yeah, single owner. But then uh, there are all these things. If you add people to the payroll to do stuff like 401k, once you add employees and start offering benefits, you can't discriminate the benefits. Right. So you have to give them to everybody. So if you try to get group uh, health and life insurance or health insurance and or provide retirement benefits, it has to be freely available to all your employees so just stacking the payroll with joe and bob down the street's not a great idea right yeah i actually looked at uh, hiring a personal assistant you know instead of using a va just so that i could mm-hmm. get somebody else on the payroll and get you know the guaranteed issue insurance but it just turned out that it wasn't worth it it wasn't something that i could afford and then with all of the risks that come with uh, hiring somebody you know where you have to pay unemployment and crap like that i just it just turned out that i wasn't ready to take that on so um, no the one and if it just in case it's not clear i mean the bit with the 401k so you have to offer it to everybody i mean it doesn't sound like a big deal until you do employee match then it's a big deal that's why that's why it's important so if you're doing like a 10 percent corp match to however many investing and all that stuff then it matters when you offer it to everybody not that you're going to be a jerk and tell your wife she can't have 401k but right so um what what other things should people be doing when they uh when they get started with freelancing i i think one thing from our discussion last week is find a CPA and talk to him. Yeah, please, because I wasn't on the discussion last week, but after um, being truly freelance for two years now, I am so hurting from not having a CPA that I'm, I'm playing two years of catch-up from, from, from unintentionally filing my taxes wrong. Uh, for those two years as an S corp, so please, please, please get a CPA. And it's but one of those things you can wait yeah. on. Go ahead, Eric. I was say you can wait on it. Like, yeah, you need a CPA, but you need a CPA you don't need by right tax away. time. If yeah. you if you started right now in April, I mean, you know, assuming you already you're doing taxes for last year, if you start freelancing right now. You have a few months before you need to hire a CPA. I mean, don't yes. wait till like, you know, March of next year before you go looking. But it's they're not like a, a blocker to actually starting freelancing. And don't think like, oh, I want to start freelancing, but I have to do this first. Yeah. Right. Guess, yep. guess at some rate, a third is safe bet. And yep. take a third of your profit, sock it away, and like ING Direct that takes 10 days to transfer it to another account so it stays there. Yeah, I still do that. When I first started, I did like 35% of all my net income. 
So basically it's after business expenses, sock that away. And basically every year since I started, I've had extra money and savings after taxes were paid and I use that to pay down debt or other things. So 35% is a good estimate. And once mm-hmm. you get into it longer, you'll be able to refinance say like 25 might work or if you're in a high tax day, like 45 might work or whatever. And that's that's when you need to get a CPA is by the time you file your taxes the first year. So because there are rules for every state and probably every municipality, like whether or not a corp can keep money, carry money over and how that money carries over and distribution, all other garbage. So, I mean, if you have money, save it away so that you don't get shocked and can't pay like a 15 grand or $25,000 tax payment when it's finally time to pay your taxes. But uh, definitely not a non-starter. Yeah. And the another one that uh, Eric just brought up that I really like is is if you can pay down some debt because um, ultimately what, what the game is and it, it's so funny to me because it's the same game for being full-time employed. But what, what we're talking about here is mitigating risk. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we're when we're saying go talk to a CPA, it's because you can mitigate risk that you're going to get audited or have some not have enough to pay your taxes and then have to pay the penalties or, or you know whatever and, you know similarly with business entities and business insurance you know if if you have to have that risk mitigated then you know that's what you need to do and so paying down debt is a good way of doing that because then if you have a slow month you have to have a much slower month before it really starts to affect you yeah, I'm, I'm usually gonna... the guy I'm usually the guy bringing up the R word um, risk and in in that regard, um, one of the things we haven't even talked about, because you guys are talking about paying down debt. So how, one way I manage risk, I don't have any. I have my other. I've got my house, and that's about it. I've got a credit card. I pay it off every month. It's like cash. So um, it, that might you know be a luxury to a lot of people, but I simply choose not to carry debt most of the time because most debt, most debt sucks except for house debt. Um, right. So, so, so then, if push comes to shove, all you have to do is, you know, pay your utilities, buy food, and pay your mortgage. Yeah, pretty much, and, and pay my taxes. <laughs> <laughs> That's a my really taxes. good idea. Pay your taxes. Yeah, paying your taxes is good, and not screwing it up is good. Um, but that that's a different topic. Um, but the other risk mitigator, and, and I've, I've talked about it on another show, is you have a cushion. I don't have to. I'm, I'm not in a position where I have to worry about the next check from the customer and how much of it I need to save for taxes because I have enough socked away that I could be unemployed for a year and I would really, really, really hate it, but I could do that um, and, and maintain a relatively standard uh, how, uh, standard of living, a relatively comfortable standard of living. I don't think I quite said that right um, for me and my wife. Um, so you need to just understand what your level of risk tolerance is and plan accordingly. In my case, admittedly, mine is, is really fairly low for someone who's a freelancer. And so that's one way I compensate. Right. And all that, if you're 24 out of college in an apartment, no girlfriend, no family, whatever. No risk. (laughs) Exactly. No risk. I mean, yeah. uh, it's still health insurance risk. I mean, carpal tunnel, lose your hand, whatever. And now you can't type. And Dragon Dictate probably sucks to code with. <laughs> so oh so do God. you guys have any like uh, uh, disability insurance long term or short term? Should, but I don't. Uh, I don't. I honestly don't know. Maybe through my wife, but I don't have anything on my own. Right. No, mine's called a savings account. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I guess same thing here. Do, do what we say. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, and can I, I want to go back to what Chuck was saying about paying down debt because I, I actually operate opposite of Evan. I, we have a house mortgage. We have a debt on our car. We have credit card debt, but we pay it off every month like Evan. But the debt that we have is, I mean, I guess student loan interest. All of the debt, the interest rate is so low, it's like almost free oh. money. Well, and if you so, can get a really low interest rate, then yeah. potentially. And so like what we do is, yeah, we have debt and we carry debt, but we have such a high amount of savings that if shit hit the fan, we could actually use our savings to pay off our debt in, a, in like a day. Um, and so the idea is like, but having the cash on hand, we can use that as like leverage, like say a huge business opportunity comes up and I need to fly the rails comp or something. I can do that. I have the cash. I can fly there, you know, close some, you know, insanely lucrative business or whatever. And so I'm kind of thinking one thing you might want to do before you start freelancing is actually pick up a couple personal finance books, figure out what they're about if you don't know personal finance and just kind of understand how it works. Because unlike, you know, Fortune 500 businesses, if you're freelancing, your business finance and your personal finance have a really good relationship. You shouldn't mix funds, but if you're doing great in business or shitty in business, that's going to affect your personal life a lot. Okay, so is there a personal finance book for the freelancer yet? There's a one. Uh, I haven't read it. It's like the Freelancer's Guide to Money or something. I'll look it up. But I mean, my not, you need to write one. I think Bob Bob Walsh is writing one. I mean, that's sort of the go-to the go-to ones that I would recommend would be. Um, Dave Ramsey's whatever his book is, the, the financial piece the total stuff, money makeover. The, yeah, total money makeover, and uh, Ramit's uh, I would teach you to be rich. I mean, you don't have to do everything in it, but I mean, it's pretty sound money advice. I mean, I would say the one. I mean, beyond that, beyond some preparation, the one must-have thing going freelance is just an account to put business money in, and you can do yeah. that for free, ING Direct or something, so it's not a big deal. But yeah. And That's I mean, the, the book, thing. I've read it probably a dozen times. It's called The Richest Man in Babylon. If yeah. you hate finance and you hate business books, this is a good book. It's thin. It's kind of in the way of a story. And it teaches you like the very basic financial management stuff of like put 10% of money away, put 10% to pay off debt, you know, those basic ideas. And like Jeff said, you don't have to do all of these things, but you need to be aware of them and you need to make a choice that I'm not going to do this because of this reason. And that that's kind of a good foundation and you can build your business on a lot of that stuff too. Right, yeah. Makes a lot of sense. And uh, yeah, are there any other things that we should be doing or thinking about uh, moving into freelancing? I mean, one- I mean marketing, like you... Right. It's hard when you get started, but you've got to market like crazy. You've already gone over that one a lot. I mean, the, the advice for uh, for people listening to this one now, if you haven't listened to episode, I think, one and two, yeah, because mm-hmm. we talk about marketing, 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 and marketing. Because if you have one client now, that one client, or if you have two clients right now that are getting, you're getting started with, they're not going to be with you forever. They might be with you for a long time. Um, you never know. I've had clients hire me for allegedly for a few weeks, and usually I'm with them for several months because mm-hmm. they like me. Um, you know, for whatever reason, but you're going to need something to do after that to pay the bills unless you're planning on having a really long vacation. So yeah, marketing. Yeah. In fact, that's one thing that I, uh, I, I have had several people talk to me. Well, I'm thinking about going freelance and I look at them. Okay. Well, if you're thinking about it, you're probably a few months away from doing it. And so what you need to be doing right now is start writing a blog or, you know, I, I, I mean, I give them like, you know, four or five ideas of things that they can do to start, 
you know, getting their name out there, getting people to know who they are. And, um, you know, it, it really just kind of gets them into that place where then, you know, hopefully they have a little bit of a following so that when they decide they are going to go freelance, they can just say, hey, look, I'm available for hire. And, and uh, you yeah, know, the, TL, the TLDR version is do something you love that you do well, do it publicly, share it with people. Yep. And then, then that's paying it forward. That's the short, short version. Otherwise, go listen to episodes one and two. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, like, like me, I like writing, so I blog more. If you like talking, like video stuff, record two-minute YouTube videos or screencasts of your things. Like that's how Ryan Bates got started with Rails things. You know, if you just like talking but don't like visual, make a podcast or just record audio things and put on your blog. I mean, it's the yeah. point of you need to be out there and people need to be able to notice that you're there. Yeah, but it's it's one thing to uh, to have some sort of social proof out there, and it's another thing to like going be going around and begging for work. So you know, you definitely need to be paying attention to that and making sure that you you have that platform out there before you really start depending on it for your livelihood. You don't have to, but no, again, it's it true. Comes, it's that risk tolerance thing. Yep. What's your risk profile? Are you a young kid with nothing to lose, or do you have a family and and you don't have anything in the bank? Yeah, funny thing, my kids like to eat. Yeah, so. that. <laughs> my wife kind of needs to have a roof over her head. Yeah, yeah, that kind of pays too. So, yeah, I mean, I think we're at a, we're all in a place where you know the risk tolerance is maybe a little bit lower than somebody in a position where it's just them or you know they, they you know they don't have a lifestyle that they feel like they have to. Oh, uh, we can all fix that. We can get divorced, run away from our families, and then you know we're we're back where the twenty something are. Yeah, because that, that was, doesn't that, cause that you more problems, right? Oh, great. Sorry. So you have to go to a different country where they don't respect, you know, American divorce laws and, and that other stuff. But, right. okay, that was supposed to be sort of tongue-in-cheek, but I'm not pulling it off today. Evan, I just want to say I love how you keep saying 20-somethings because I'm a 20-something. Yeah, I know you're a 20-something. Oh, I thought you were older than that, Eric. No, I think I'm like 28 or something. I have an IRB. Wait, wait are, are you that old? I thought you were like 21. No. No, I'm just trolling. Yeah, he, he, he thinks he's like 28, so well, when he figures it out, maybe he'll let us know. Yeah. I'm actually a 67-year-old tortoise. Oh, there you go. Turtles all the way down. <laughs> all right. So um, I, I just kind of want to sum things up really quickly, and then we'll get into the picks. Um, I, I think basically what, what we've said is if you're going to get started with freelancing, uh, then, oh, there was the other question that we needed to get to. But let me sum this up, and then we'll get to that other question really fast. Good. Um, so basically what we've said is if you have a paying client, then you're a freelancer. Um, you probably want to at least be looking into finding a CPA, getting a contract together, um, and then a lot of these other things that we talked about, like uh, having insurance, um, health insurance is something that you should be figuring out, but having like disability insurance, business insurance, um, getting out of debt, a lot of these other things are about mitigating uh, the risk if you get hurt or can't find work or things so like that. So is a contract, frankly. What was that? So is a, so is a contract, frankly. Um, the contract is there for when things go badly. When things are going well, you don't even need to worry about a contract. It's just if you don't have one at the beginning, your customer is probably not going to want to sign one later. Right. Yeah, and it's not magic anyways. I mean, contract a contract just gives you the ability to go to court and sue. I mean, it doesn't right. make anybody behave better. Right. Right. It's it's only there for when the hits the fan. And I'm going to get bleeped now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I am starting to bleep on my podcast, but anyway. <laughs> or I'm going to get quacked or whatever it was <laughs> your assistant used last time. 
Yeah. Anyway, so um, yeah, so so that that's kind of it. I mean, you know, just go find some work and, and get started. Now, the other question was, I'm not in Ruby uh, full time, so how do I how do I get going into Ruby freelancing if I'm not doing Ruby full time? And and I think just reading this really quickly, it seems like the they're just worried about being able to sell their clients on having them do Ruby work. And I think this really just goes back to the same marketing questions. I mean, let me here's something I want to prefix this with because I've talked about this a while back, a couple of years ago. But if you're doing freelance or consulting, the client's coming to you because they think you're an expert in it. If you have never done Ruby and you're selling yourself as a Ruby expert, that's dishonest. Yeah, fair enough. If you co- if you tell the client, I have not done Ruby before, I want to learn, I've worked on these things on the side on my own time, that's fine. And so that's something you have to be really upfront with them about. Like, don't over, what is it, oversell, overposition yourself. Just don't and, just sell yourself honestly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, that's a, what, that, ooh, that, that's kind of contradictory if you think about it. Sell yourself honestly. <laughs> not really. I mean, <laughs> well, okay, but, it's not. It's not contradictory. It's just, I'm gonna let's see. Sell my soul, but I'll do it honestly. But I don't believe in a soul. We're just not gonna go down this topic, please. Yeah, Evan's going in the rabbit hole. But I mean, that's that's one thing you need to be careful is if you don't have the experience, be upfront about it and make right. sure the client understands it. Don't just tell them once and think they heard you. Make sure they really understand it. Totally. Um, I mean, I got started doing some Ruby things, but I actually, some of my first like kind of bootstrapping contracts were PHP and I told them, yeah, I know PHP. I did it years ago. I do mostly Ruby stuff now. I'd be happy to do PHP for you because I'm, I'm kind of slow right now. And I actually gave them a reduced rate for it and explained to them that like, I don't know how to do a WordPress plugin. I'm going to have to take a few hours of your time to learn how to do it. And they were fine with that. It still worked in their budget. Yep. And that's the a other common thing, strategy I've heard other people say is uh, be willing to take a reduced rate if you're new at something. Right. I mean, that's sort of the classic Chad Fowler story, right? I mean, he wanted to go from Java to Ruby and you hear stories. He took like, I don't know, minimum wage rates. I, I don't know what it was, but I mean, that's the story. And I don't even know if the story is true. But the, the other version of that is to just sub to somebody, uh, understand you're going to get a lower rate, sub to them at a lower rate than you think you're worth. But hopefully they'll be there to help you learn as you make some money too. Yeah, and the, my, the better, that'd be my suggestion. The better thing about subbing too is if you sub under someone who has experience, they can review you for really bad screw ups. Like if you go off and do Rails for someone even at a low rate, you could be exposing a ton of security vulnerabilities or whatever. But if you're subbing for someone, I'm going to assume they're going to probably do a review and flag things that you might not have the experience of knowing, you know, hey, here's SQL injection in the model and stuff like that. So, and actually, most of my stuff when I got started was subbing, and that's a that's a valid way, and it's easy to get started because your market, your your customers are developers, and so your marketing can be very developer centric, and it's easy to do if you're not used to marketing. And depending on the the prime who's taking you on as a sub, I mean, it can be a great deal for everybody around because I mean. Uh, Everybody has their opinions, and I've got more than a lot of people, but, I mean, you get to mold somebody. So if you're coming up and you haven't learned, you know development, but you don't know Ruby, then we can mold you into the type of developer that I want and not necessarily have to untrain a bunch of bad habits from other code. So, I mean, it can work in 
it, it can work for both parties. I mean, it's definitely a valid reason. I mean, I, and some of that stuff you can't get anywhere else. I mean, without tons and tons of time on your own. It's like when I'm doing Objective-C stuff, I would love to sub for somebody doing Objective-C to pair with them to do some stuff just to get sort of insight into how the big boys are doing it in the Objective-C world. Because you just don't have that when you're doing it on your own so much, but whatever. Right. I mean, another idea, like if you have no experience in Ruby, but we'll say PHP, you know PHP pretty well, um, you could try to work with other Rubyists but build apps in PHP. Like, say there's a big Ruby site, but they need like an emailing backend solution. Well, you can write that in PHP and try to like figure out what the Ruby guys are doing and review their code and pick up stuff that way. Um, it doesn't work that great with Ruby and PHP because most people are just not liking PHP. But if you're looking at one of the other languages that are out there, like I don't know what they're what they are anymore, but the the up and comers like Clojure or something, Elixir you know, that might, and all that, yeah, yeah, like some of that that might be a valid way, especially as larger companies are kind of going from one language to multiple languages. Right. So I guess I made the uh, the assumption that this person, even though they're working maybe in a .NET shop or something, you know, they've they've put in considerable time on the side learning Ruby and learning how to, you know, do the code in Rails and stuff. And, and really, yeah, if your ability is there, then a, a lot of times what it really comes down to is whether or not you can convince your client that, that you can do the job and that you can do it well. In other words, that you're the expert that they're looking for. And um, you in know, this day and age, in this economy, that probably won't be very hard. I was going to say. Yeah, you don't even have to be an expert. You just have to say, hey, I know Rails. And you'll say, hired. Yep. Yeah, in fact, um, most of them don't look at GitHub or anything else. I mean, some of them have looked at some of my podcasts or looked at the videos or something because that's stuff that they understand a little bit better. But, I mean, for the most part, my clients, I mean, it's just, yeah, somebody said you were good at Ruby, so I want you. And the other part of that, I mean, if if you have any experience on the side and you want to go into, if you have any Ruby experience and you want to start Ruby freelancing, even though it's not your full-time job already, the easiest way to do that, other than subbing, is probably to contribute on an open source product project. I mean, regardless of how much talent you have, there's a project that needs your help. I don't, I don't think we've talked about this. I mean, Eric can talk about it way more than I can. But, I mean, easy to demonstrate your skill in the, in the area and then be able to point to, here, I helped build this feature out in Fat-Free CRM or I did whatever, or I support Chili Pro, whatever. But Never mind that as a freelancer, you don't necessarily have a lot of opportunities to learn from other people. So yes. if you're working in open source, then, then ideally you're looking at good code. Ideally you pick the project that, that's challenging for you. And if there are other smart people working on it, then when you submit a piece of code, you'll probably get some decent and useful criticisms back that will ultimately make you better too. Yep. And good or bad feedback. I mean, you still have a conversation with somebody other than just my loan commits going to GitHub all by myself or wherever. Right. Yeah, well, your mom's the only watcher on the repo. <laughs> Don't do that when I'm drinking something. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I wrote about it in a, my blog a while back, but like. Basically, if you're trying to get into this and you don't know the development language, I mean, this isn't even Ruby specific, you just got to get better at it. And I mean, there's, 
the, you know, there's all these techniques and like tactics people talk about, but the strategy I found that works for me is you need to read more code in that language and you need to write more code in that language. Yep. I mean, open source helps you with both of that, but it's like you just start doing that and you'll get better. And if you don't, you probably aren't because you're not enjoying it or it's not something you really are passionate about. And that's a clear sign that maybe doing Ruby isn't for you and maybe you should try something else. Yeah, one other thing I want to add to that is just that while you're reading the code or working with the code in one of these open source projects or whatever, um, ask questions. You know, um, a lot of the other guys, you know, they they recognize the value of somebody who wants to contribute to the project. And so if you're asking questions, even if they're, you know, pretty basic things, um, they have a vested interest in bringing you up to speed. And so they can they can usually answer a lot of these questions. Why did you do this this way? You know, wouldn't it make sense to use this design pattern or, or do things in this other way? And oh, no, 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 you should never ask questions because if you do, you're revealing you don't know something and that makes you look stupider. And You never, ever should do that. You really should do that all the time. Well, I'm going to slightly disagree with asking questions as a maintainer. I get overwhelmed with questions. And a right. lot of these questions can be solved by RTFM or whatever. Google. It, yeah. And instead of asking questions, ask questions to yourself. Like if you want to put a to-do thing in oh, the yeah. code or whatever. Mm -hmm. And especially with Ruby, especially with open source, try to – if you have a question, like I don't understand why the, why we're using inject here in this method – Try to write a test and try to try to break it and poke at it and do a whole bunch of stuff or throw pry or a debugger in there and just play with the code like that and see, like, try to answer the question yourself. If you can't yep. do that, then you can go to the developer and say, look, I don't understand where we're using inject. Here's a test case I did. Here's another one. Here's some debugging stuff. They'll see you put time into it and they'll actually want to help you then instead of huh. it just being a drive-by request. And on yeah, the flip yeah. side, you know, having had people work with and for me before, nothing drives me crazier than people who don't take any time to figure something out as soon as they hit something they don't know they ask a question so really yeah at stopping and asking yourself you know what do i know about this can i do i think i can resolve this on my own what's the next step and if you if, if you can at least you know try to crack the nut a little bit first before asking a question you won't look like a fool yeah the, the other thing that you can do and and this is probably also a terrific idea if you're talking about this, is put it up on Stack Overflow or something, and oh, yeah. let's see if you can get an answer there. Um, the the nice thing you'll about you'll get an answer. You'll get an answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the nice thing there too is that then you know you can explore it, and as you explore it, you know you can add notes to it. But the final the final thing that you get out of it is that. Um, then you can just point people to that. You know, I need I need an answer. Can you give me one? Here's you know here's where it is. And then when somebody else has that question, then it's out there in the wide world so that you know people can can learn that. So yeah, I would say I want to say two things, and then you can do whatever you want, Chuck. But so the first one, the asking questions. I mean, I, I was sort of I don't have the experience that Eric does maintaining projects, but just from the community, follow follow a pull request with questions, and yeah. you'll get a lot more interest from the maintainer. I I think early on maintainers will bend over backwards to help you get ready to submit code but i think uh certainly on the older projects there's a lot of oh i'll help i'll help i'll help and uh, i've done everything i can all you have to do is send me some code and nobody sends code so i mean taking uh, taking one step even if it's i couldn't figure this out so i made a bit of documentation here's my pull request and then eric or whoever is going to be more likely to fix it and merge it in or explain to you how to fix it so it gets merged in but taking action probably makes a big difference and then sort of to counter 
or temper Evan's comment about as soon as you don't figure something out or as soon as you can't figure something out, they ask. I mean, the flip side of that is what you see with people that are afraid to, I don't know, let people know that they're stupid or that they don't know something. I mean, it's the people that will spend four hours digging after something, following some rabbit hole when it could be a two-minute conversation on Skype. And it's like, look, this is how you do it. All right, done. And if... If you're subbing to me, don't spend four hours digging in some rabbit hole. Talk to me after like five or ten minutes. Well, I mean, it's, it's it, different yeah. when it's billable time than when it's not, right? I mean, if, I, yeah, if, exactly, but... if I'm working with somebody, you know, whether I'm working for them or they're working for me, and 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 they're running, they're chasing down some rabbit hole, and I have the answer, I'd I'd rather if if they were getting frustrated and and a little stuck in something that they pop up long enough to say, hey, do you know anything about this? If it's in your if it's on your own spare time. The act shaving can be educational, yeah, and, and it, it it often is not always. Sometimes it's just a big waste of time. But. I said agreed. You can stop. Oh yeah. Okay. Fine. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into the picks. Um, Eric, what are your picks? Um, okay, so I'm gonna do two pieces of advice. One, kind of related to what we just finished about moving to Ruby and kind of getting the professional experience. Pick an open source project. It doesn't matter what. Find a feature request, not a bug, but a feature request on whatever issue tracker they use and talk to the person on the fe- that's asking for the feature. Try to figure out what they're wanting, what they're going to use it for, what their use case is, and then build it and then give it to the project. Because that process is exactly the same what you're going to do freelancing. You're going to talk to a client, you're going to figure out what the yeah. client wants, you're going to build it for them, you're going to deliver it, and you're going to make sure it's good. Um, and you can do that as you can take as much time as you want coding it. You can take months to do it. And the person requesting the feature, because they have, they're not paying for it or anything, they should be relatively happy that it got done. So that's one of my picks advice. Um, another pick that I've done, I guess, when I got started is if you don't know about business or marketing, pick at least one day a month and use that day just learning. Like try to learn what marketing is, try to learn how to talk to people, try to learn, you know, what taxes are involved with. You might not get a lot of like hard results out of it, but the fact that you're constantly learning is you're going to pick up things. And I mean, it's basically like taking a Saturday and hacking on code, but you're hacking on your business instead. Right. All right. Evan, what are your picks? Oh, darn it. You caught me in the middle of sending a tweet to someone. Um, just as a slight aside, someone uh, there was a post on Hacker News lately about how do I get people to accept my uh, my open source contributions, and uh, Eric's response I thought was was the perfect response essentially. Uh, so I just sent that person a tweet saying, "Hey, listen to the Ruby Freelancers next week. Listen for Eric's uh, Eric's pick." Okay, so my picks. Um, let's see. So. Uh, one of the first, let's see, first pick is uh, a gem that I, I learned of on my newest client project. It's called Cells um, for Rails. It essentially provide, essentially lets you have subcontrollers and subviews as opposed to just having partials that only have whatever context you inject into them. Uh, I haven't tried benchmarking them yet. I've heard one person claim that they can run a little slow, but basically it, it, they operate almost exactly the same as controllers and views typically just, well, that you delegate to them. 
So they're they're really kind of cool, and they're making this code base nicer. So I, I'm liking them. I recommend them. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes. Another thing, a remote pairing session I did earlier this week. Someone in, uh, with a Sam Deng Chun he introduced me to a gem called Proxy Local, which also has a which uses a web app. Basically, Proxy Local uh, will let you proxy a web server that you're running on your own machine through this website to anyone on the internet. So what I've been doing is I have port forwarding set up on my router to expose you know, a few particular ports, including um, not port 3000, but some random ports for HTTP when I have an app running. But this is nicer because you can just do it on demand and you can even provide your own subdomain. So as long as you pick something unusual, then you're probably always going to be able to get it. So that's pretty cool for remote pairing if you want to share a web app. Uh, two other ones are productivity-based. I'm very much a getting-things-done addict, but I've been very unhappy with most of the tools that I use. I used uh, things.app by Culture Code for quite a while, but it just didn't quite fit the bill. And recently I discovered an, an app simply called ToDo by a company called Apigo. And they have an iPad app, which is how I first found them. The iPad app is exceptional. They have also have a matching iPhone app and a and an OS ten app. Together, the whole all three of them cost about twenty five bucks. One of the sweetest things is there are at least three different ways you can synchronize them. Uh, you can synchronize by iCloud. You can synchronize by Dropbox, which is what I use. You can synchronize over Wi Fi, and I think there was some other option. Just Dropbox is a piece of cake. It's wonderful, and it provides just enough functionality. Such the oh, funny spelling. Uh, Jeff wrote "tius dukes" in or whatever in, in the chat. Distracted. Um, no, isn't that how they spell it? No, no, it's T O D O. It's just to do. Because there's another app that's spelled there, like I wrote it. There are a ton of apps called To Do. If you go look yeah. in the App Store, that's why we're probably going to actually have to have a link in the, for the App Store. But it's literally right. just To Do To Do by Appigo. And um, it's just a little bit more functional than, than Cultured Code's things, but just enough extra functionality that I'm finding it pretty much perfect for me. So I, I highly recommend that. Uh, also, as far as uh, productivity, I had a, a few weeks ago, David Brady uh, recommended to me while I was out in Utah before flying home that I get um, some Bose uh, sound blocking headphones. Those are not cheap at all. But the uh, the perfect complement to them that I just recently discovered is, and there are a lot of apps like this, but it's an app called Simply Noise. And Simply Noise is a web app you can use for free. There's a uh, $0.99 cent, uh, iOS app that works plenty well as well. Um, it's on Android also, I believe. And all it does is it generates white noise, and you can also have that white noise oscillate if you want. Well, sorry, three different kinds of noise, what they call white noise, pink noise, and brown noise. I was sitting in a Panera yesterday wearing my sound blocking headphones and blaring out brown noise. The next table were three kids hopping up and down and screaming at the top of their lungs, and I couldn't hear a thing. It was wonderful. So if, um, if you're in a noisy environment, you need to be productive. I love this app. I couldn't recommend it enough. And it, it, it's so cheap and/or free if you're using the web app. Just use it or something like it. And that's it for me. 
going to say real quick, it's interesting because I have a, I don't have boys, but I have a different noise canceling headphones. And the way they work is when they're on is they cancel most like background noise, but mm-hmm. voices are specifically right. going to go through. So I'm surprised right. you didn't hear the kids screaming or maybe they, the, they were the, considered voices. No, no, no. The headphones were allowing the, 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 the kids in. So it wasn't, the headphones were blocking out a lot of ambient noise, but they weren't blocking out the voices. It was the brown noise that was blocking out the voices. So mm-hmm. they, they complement one another. You're, the, the headphones are blocking out a lot of the ambient noise. The brown noise blocks out the rest of it. And then basically I just end up with this nice, almost beach-like sound because I had oscillating brown noise, which sounds a lot like waves on a beach. Cool. That sounds really cool. Yeah, it, it was it was great. So I'm going to be using that a lot more when I, when I work out in public if I just need to get out and it's noisy. Nice. All right, Jeff, what are your picks? All right. Um, the Power of Habit, I think I talked about it last time. But I finally finished reading the book. Uh, really, really good book. Um, basically, it talks about the habit cycle, uh, the trigger, the cue, the behavior, and then the reward. And what's interesting about this book, as opposed to a lot of other books on habits, is it explains how to basically how to track your habit and how to figure out what the cue is and what the reward is, so that you can oh, nice. actually try to deal with it. So I thought that was interesting and. They also relate it to business. So it's not just personal habits, but business habits. And they have some interesting case studies. Uh, definitely worth a read. It's like 10 bucks or something on Kindle. The Power of Habit? Yep. Okay. Buy, uh, buying another book. <laughs> Charles, <laughs> Charles Duhigg or Duhigg. I don't know how to say his last name. Yeah. And well, then, well, from that first name, he sounds like an intelligent guy. So. <laughs> lame. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it was lame. <laughs> The other um, freelance. So uh, this isn't a pick, sort of a pick, advice pick, I guess, to steal Eric's thing. If you're not a Ruby person listening to this podcast and you happen to be a designer and I haven't pissed you off, so you're still listening, <laughs> donate some time to an open source project and you have more clients than you will ever know what to do with. Oh, There's designer? So- yes. yes. There's so many, if you look at a couple of perfect, uh, perfect examples of some really well done open source projects, Active Admin, uh, Serve, GitServe.com, it's just a simple web server that serves up all Hamel and Slim and everything, and Bundler. I mean, uh, well done design, well done, like sales page even type websites before GitHub. And if, if you're a designer and contribute something like that to one of these, to any project, I mean, you can have a ton of people want to work for you with you, but so that, that's the open source thing. But so the second pick is startup marketing: how to earn customers without paying for them. So Rand Fishkin, the guy from SEO Moz, did a um, Hacker News meetup talk in London. It's an hour-long recording, and apparently uh, the first half of it is some repeated material he's done for other Hacker News meetups. But it, it's basically all about inbound marketing. So Chuck talked about get a podcast or get a website, and Eric talked about video and podcast, just producing content. I mean, you need to understand what to do with the content, and it's, it's an hour. It doesn't go into a ton of tactics, but... It's really, really entertaining and worthwhile watch. So that would be my second one. And the third and final, I guess fourth and final, if you count the advice, is remote pairing. Evan Evan mentioned he did it. Also said that we don't get to work a lot with other people. It depends on how you deal, how you freelance. But I'm pretty much 
all by myself coding 90% of the time. I love to pair with people. So if you want to pair, hit me up and we'll find something to pair on. Yeah, don't but, talk uh, to me about pairing because I don't remote pe pair with people in my spare time. I remote pair with people in my spare time. RemedPair.com is down. What? Yeah. And there are a few projects like that. No, it's that. not. Nice try. Sorry. Yeah. And so there, there are a couple of projects like that that try to pair people up so that you can actually do remote pair programming. But I love it. I mean, whatever it takes. I mean, it's, sometimes it's about the code and you learn an interesting trick. But I mean, it's more to me about process and sort of I'm a voyeur. I love to see what people are using, what tools they have, what, like how their desktop set up, how their editors set up. I mean, I love that stuff. But if you want to pair, hit me up. We'll pair. Cool. You need, you need to get on a Ruby pair, man. I'm probably there. Mark, well, okay, so I guess th this is not exactly advertising because it's just it's a free app that I wrote kind of for fun and there's a test bed for code ideas. But um, you sign in with your GitHub, and now there's a feature that I just added pairing where when you sign in, you can mark yourself as available or unavailable. And when you mark yourself up as available, you show up on a list of people who are available to pair. You don't even have to mark yourself out as unavailable just after two hours, your markup expires. Um, so I need to add some more features around it. But basically it's just a way of saying, hey, I'm here and I'm ready to go right now, just ping me. And there's absolutely no one available right now. <laughs> But uh, at least it's there. It's probably because there are no instructions on how to use it, and the design can be a little bit clearer. Signed up. But cool. Um, and yeah, so I've, I've actually started pairing again with people on working on Ruby Pair. It's kind of my default. I don't know what I want to pair on with folks, so I'm just going to work on more features for Ruby Pair or cleaning up existing features. Um, because unfortunately, right now, when you search for people, you can't tell if that person's available or not. So that's another feature I need to work on. So anyway, uh, RubyPair.com is free. Um, no reason not to use it. Sorry, Chuck, I was tapping, was fidgeting. <laughs> that's okay. All right. Um, so I guess it's my turn. Um, I had somebody ask me on Twitter for um, some suggestions on podcasts to listen to. And, uh, you know, they were just kind of, you know, in general ones that I thought were interesting. So I'm going to just list a few of my favorite podcasts. Um, the first one is the 48 Days podcast, and that's by uh, Dan Miller, who wrote 48 Days to the Work You Love. And uh, it's he, he, talks, he talks a lot about, like, going into business on your own, but he also gets into... Um, other areas of just running a business and things like that. They're, he has a lot of good advice. Um, I mean, sometimes he, he plays some cheesy music or this or that on it, but most of the time it, it's pretty good advice. And people just uh, call or email in with their questions and, and he just answers them for uh, what he says is 48 minutes, but it's usually like 50 minutes. Um, another one that I really like is the Changelog podcast, and that's done by Win Netherland and Adam Stokowiak. Um, and they... They interview um, people who are working in open source, um, but they they tend to lean more toward Ruby stuff because I think they're both Ruby developers. So they usually get people on from uh, Ruby companies or um, people who are working on open source projects related to Ruby. So they've talked to like the guy who does Vagrant and a bunch of these uh, other projects. Um, another one that I really like is, uh, Mixergy. And if you want some, uh, some good, interesting, uh, interviews with business people, then Mixergy is a great way to go. Um, they come out pretty frequently, so, um, it, it's kind of hard to stay up on all of them, but I've, I've listened to some of those. They talked to these guys about how they started up there now making millions of dollar businesses. And, um, there's usually a ton of good stuff in there that you can apply to your own business and your own processes. So that's another one that I recommend. And then just a funny one out of the blue is uh, wait, wait, don't tell me. 
It's an NPR show, and it's um, it's it's really funny. It's a news quiz, but it's 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 a comedy. So they have a panel, and they sit there and they crack jokes about um, whatever it is that they come up with. They have a segment where um, they. I think my favorite segment is either the limericks. Limericks. So. Um, the 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 guy that does the voice I, I can't remember his name Carl Castle um, he'll read a limerick and then they have to guess the last word and then they talk about the funky or crazy news story there and then they have another one that's um, each panelist reads uh, like an explanation of the news story you know and of course they've they've doctored it so that it's kind of funny to listen to and then um, the the listener contestant has to guess which one is the real story and they're always like these off the wall stories that are just kind of crazy so. Anyway, if you want something that's amusing and uh, mildly interesting, then uh, that that's a terrific way to go. And, and, and so those are my picks. All right, well, let's wrap this up. Um, I don't know if I mentioned this last week, but we are now in Stitcher, Stitcher Smart Radio. Um, it's an app on the Android or iPhone, so it's a great way to go. Um, so anyway, uh, I had a few people requesting that I get the shows into there, so I did. Um, other than that, we I don't know that we have any other announcements, so we'll just uh, we'll wrap this up, and we'll catch you next week. See you later. Okay, bye-bye. Later.